Welcome to Chit Chat Money. This is our Thursday deep dive show where we interview an analyst on a single stock. And today we're talking with Sean Emery. He is the CIO and founder of Avery & Co. Um, really actually a fascinating investment firm that we follow fairly closely. And it's always fun to keep track of their holdings. I believe their 13F is available. Um, and they got can, stuff on their website. Lots of... You can check out their holdings. Yep. Um, and he's probably one of the investors we kind of, I think, model ourselves after, feel like we have a very similar philosophy or strategy. And today we're talking about Zoom, which is a business I am sure a lot of people are familiar with um, because we conducted this interview on Zoom and I feel like people work on Zoom every day now. So I, I guess we don't need to go any further. Did you have any highlights from the interview? Yeah, just, just going beyond the actual Zoom meeting product, which everyone is aware of into what uh, everyone, most people are not aware of is all the other products that they're launching for enterprises, phone, call center, um, calendar, lots of other stuff. We talk about that in detail and why that helps Zoom. Well, let's not be certain here why Sean thinks uh, it gives them great potential going forward to uh, expand their business. Yeah, agreed. But before we get to the interview, do we want to talk about our exclusive sponsor for the show, 7investing? That is correct. Yes, 7investing. Use code MONEY. M-O-N-E-Y. The link will be in the show notes and get $100 off your annual subscription for life when using that code at checkout. That is a 25% discount every year on the life of your subscription. 7investing offers seven stock research reports every month. And this ranges from a variety of industries. They have analysts that cover uh, healthcare. They have analysts that cover software. They have analysts that cover payments, innovative companies, the space economy even. Um, they actually have very, very good stuff on that as well. And part of the program that they do there, uh, Simon, the founder we've had on the show, he buys a six pack of beer for any advisor who makes a recommendation that their stock uh, and their stock increases by 100% after the time of the res recommendation. Dana Abramovitz, uh, the healthcare analyst, uh, her uh, August 2020 recommendation is now officially up 100%. Um, if you want to check out what that recommendation was and why it was so successful, um, along with all the other recommendations and research reports out there, 200 plus in their library, use code MONEY, get $100 off your annual subscription. We don't think you'll uh, be upset by trying them out at least. And I think they're also doing some trials and they're doing, they have some free content. Explore the website, check them out. If you're an individual investor, we think it could be really, really great. All right. Without further ado, here's our interview with Sean Emery. Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Okay, today we are joined by Sean Emery. He is the, at least CIO is, is the official title, I think, at Avery & Co. He's uh, been a recurring guest on the show before, I believe. Last time we spoke about Duolingo, I think. Is that the most Hola. recent one? Sí. That oh, is yeah. true. They, they've done, uh, honestly, check out that episode and check out their results. They've been doing phenomenally lately. So, All right. But today we are talking about Zoom on Zoom. Um, so kind of a Zoom uh, Zoom inception <laughs> here. Uh, so let, let's just kind of start with 
your history with the investment? When, obviously, I think a lot of people first heard about it throughout COVID. When did you first get interested in Zoom more as an investment? Yeah, so so Zoom went public in 2019. Uh, it was a name that you know had a combination of growth profits. Um, before that, though, actually, you know, we used to track Eric Yuan at the Saster events, which is you know the big uh, software uh, conference that um, is annually, and he spoke there quite a bit. You know, he was brought there a couple times. Um, he was always very impressive. You know, he spoke. A lot about you know the product, its vision, uh, things like that. So this is kind of pre two thousand nineteen when we first started to really kind of uh, get to know him as a entrepreneur slash you know executive. Um, I actually remember in you know two thousand seventeen eighteen they hit their first hundred million dollars of you know ARR uh, annual reoccurring revenue, and I think at the time they had raised roughly you know, $30 million, they were looking to raise like another hundred million or they, they had just raised another hundred million. And throughout that journey, they've never spent any of it. Um, so here you had, you know, a product that we knew about. It's a pretty easy product to understand. Um, and you could see that he was executing well in terms of things like reliability, kind of what we talked about before. Uh, then the people, you know, Eric Wan and, and what he was doing there, able to raise so much capital, uh, but yet show prudence in terms of not spending it. Um, and again, so these are like the early days of getting to know the the business. Um, and so that was it. It's really just hearing the company at the Sasha events uh, and, and they went public. So um, that was kind of the origin of understanding the company. Then at some point, and we can talk about that, is when we really started to focus on the investment side of you know uh, actually investing in it. Uh, so... Um, we could go there. Yeah. Was that sort of like pre or at the peak of COVID? When, when did you get more interested in the investment or on the financial side and all that stuff? Yeah. So again, when we, we wanted to be part of, you know, this company at some point, you know, we were pretty impressed again with product execution and their conservative nature of, you know, running this business. Um, so I think all of that combined, you know, is a, is a pretty good start in terms of getting interested on the investment side. Then they were, you know, they're going public and, you know, there's, this was right around the big hype of, you know, IPOs, really early days of, of, of the hype, you know, 2020, I think was peak, uh, abs- absurd kind of, you know, uh, anything could go out 2019. There was still some of that or a lot of that, but, uh, a lot of the quote unquote better companies were going out then. So they were going out, I think at a $10 billion valuation, I think it was 30, you know, 35 times sales. We were still talking about sales then, even though they were generating, you know, profits. And the hype around it really stemmed from, you know, at the time they were doing something like $400 million of ARR. They were generating uh, uh, cash flow. That growth of revenue was growing 100 plus percent. They had a payback period of, you know, less than a year. So this was like one of the most efficient, fastest growing, profitable businesses that came out. Pristine balance sheet at the time. And, you know, I think when they IPO'd, it went up a hundred plus percent on day one. So you're talking about already uh, 60 times uh, multiple of sales. Um, and again, at the time they were a one trick pony where it was meetings only. And we weren't really necessarily speaking about many of the other solutions that hopefully we can speak about today. And, and again, we were interested at that point in time, but we had to know, or there was that COVID period that you're, you're referencing where, you know, it came out. Uh, expensive early on. 
Um, so, you know, in those moments, you, you hopefully that you get a, a chance down the line of, of, of being patient enough to invest in this thing. Um, that day may never come. And you had the COVID bump. And at, uh, around those moments, we were getting the question of, you know, why aren't you in it? Why aren't we in it? Um, you know, this thing was up, I don't know, 6X overnight, it felt like, um, all, from a starting point that seemed very expensive at the time, or at least on the higher end of, you know, comfort. And they saw massive revenue growth, massive margin expansion during those moments. And we asked ourselves, or, or we kind of laid out the plan, which is arguably this happens on a lot of companies, right? We needed to see valuations come down pretty dramatically at that point. Um, and then traction on new products. So, you know, specifically things like Zoom Phone, which we'll probably talk about today, but Zoom Phone was being launched then. And, you know, they launched that around, you know, mid to end 2019. Phone systems, you know, they're very sticky. Cloud-based phone systems are, are a growth market. Uh, and there was a clear kind of attach rate for those, for the kind of platform from meetings to, to phone. Um, both of those, again, we're going in the right direction. Valuation, product adoption for Zoom phone, it's at 4 million seats today. But, you know, within the last year, which was when we started to get involved, um, you know, you're already crossing 3 million phone seats, adding 500 thousand new phone seats a quarter, one of the fastest growing, you know, telephony platforms out there. So that was really it. We needed to see that valuation come down dramatically, product uh, adoption. We didn't want a one trick pony. Uh, you you kind of started to get that over the last 12 months uh, when it was down, you know, 60, 70. It, it kept going, but <laughs> uh, it, it definitely, uh, we believe, uh, again, not advice, but we believe opens the door for opportunity. And you mentioned zoom phone there i think most people are obviously obviously familiar with the core zoom product but there are other offerings beyond meeting so can you talk about what all they have um in sort of that product suite and then which do you think has the most potential yeah there's a lot and i and i, I you know anyone out there go to the website click products and just see the products i think uh, you'd be quite surprised if if you've kind of you know, every every now and then, you know, you, you follow a company, you get excited about it. You know, it gets a lot of companies out there, right? And you know, the market takes it down. Call it, you know, from COVID peak to uh, within the last year, um, and that actually prevents you from looking back at it. Um, that type of behavior. Um, and you go back over there now. I think what you'll see is, you know, a pretty big product suite. So you have Zoom meeting, uh, which is, you know, uh, a collaboration, communication kind of video. Uh, communication tool. Uh, within that, you have uh, kind of other products inside of Zoom Meeting, like whiteboards and 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 other kind of solutions. There, uh, you have Zoom Phone, which is the second most important product today. And you know, it's a cloud-based phone system, PVX, PBX, um, which uh, you know traditional phone systems run you know with uh, physical networks. Uh, generally speaking, uh, phone systems are stuck in a single location. So it makes sense, just like the rest of kind of cloud and other areas of software have been virtualized. Um, Zoom phone is is just that, you know, more and more hybrid today, meaning more and more people working in less kind of uh, 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 places where you, you know exactly where they're going to be working that day. Um, the cloud-based phone system is interesting. And, and again, 4 million Zoom phone seats there. It's literally your work phone, right? So, but it's on your device. Uh, so it's bring your own device or or even, you know, they'll provide uh, uh, physical phones inside offices that are connected to the network, 
uh, on a cloud-based phone system with partner kind of hard, hardware manufacturers. Um, you have Zoom Contact Center. Uh, this is something that they're seeing strong early traction, and you know they launched it this year. And so they tried to buy Five Nine, uh, uh, kind of within the last 12, 18 months. That didn't uh, go through. Uh, the deal was blocked by shareholders uh, on the Five Nine side. And you know they've built their contact center product internally, and now they're competing. You know with some of the top players. And there's like uh, rumors out there that they've signed a hundred million or hundred thousand dollar ARR deal here. Um, and you know, contact center is a you know support agents, customer agents, customer support agents. They use a contact center uh, where you know in a single place they can see uh, the contact externally, meaning with customers and and uh, potential customers. Uh, where you know you you message them on Twitter uh, through their direct message for support, and it goes to a single place like a contact center, or they call in, i.e., where Zoom phone kind of you know all this stuff starts to mesh together. Um, then you have uh, the internal, which again, they're, I think they're seeing a lot of traction. They've called that out, which is contact center for internal use cases. So like if you're reaching out to HR, um, having a single portal for all of this communication internal to your, your company. Um, they have Zoom team chat. So this one's interesting. It's a Slack-like product. Um, we've used it. Uh, we will use it. Uh, and you know, it's been there forever, but it's never been uh, something that they've focused wholeheartedly on. It was kind of a a, a side product. It felt like they rebranded it. You know, within the last several months to uh, Zoom team chat. And really, over the last two quarters, you know, they've invested pretty aggressively in the ecosystem. They announced integrations with things like, you know, uh, Atlassian's Jira, ServiceNow, Salesforce. So I think there's a lot there. So I'd watch out because typically when they lean in on a product, they do pretty well. Um, and then lastly, like there's there's a couple other ones that I think are important, which are you know uh, Zoom video webinars for events, um, Zoom events, Zoom rooms, which is for the physical environments, uh, for like conference rooms and things like that. Zoom for developers and um, then they they, they all launched a whole new or announced a whole new uh, set of products here at Zoomtopia last week or the weeks uh, within the last month. How about that? Uh, for the purpose of this recording, um, and you know they've they announced uh, plenty of products um, that I think are are fascinating. But I'll stop there. Um, yeah, I think the I was going to ask for any sort of details on Zoom phone, but you hit a lot of that there. So add anything if there's anything because I know that's a very important product. But I also want to hit enterprise sales um why have they been so successful co you know competing with microsoft and enterprise sales and what is the opportunity uh in enterprise yeah so this is a big part of their business a big emphasis of their business um i think you know there, there's a bunch of reasons why so one if you think about it you know when a lot of people think about zoom number one they think about teams um and microsoft is a competitor to many um and so is Google, right? And I, and I think what gets lost in the shuffle is, you know, not every company wants to be um, have all of their productivity tools and and communication tools sitting inside of, you know, some of the largest companies out there that are not independent to the rest of their organization and or a competitive threat uh, in their organization as well. So you have like a company like Intuit, which you know has uh, completely rolled out Zoom for Zoom Phone, Zoom Meeting, and likely probably many of the other products we're talking about. And I think you know, you're seeing a lot of enterprises look at a couple of different factors, which is ease of use, productivity. You know, there's there's change management that happens as well. Specifically, the larger you get, 
you know, if you have 10,000 employees changing to a, another solution, it's not as easy as, you know, 10 employees and, um, and doing that. So reliability change management, I think are important. You know, I think uh, they've also proven their ability to innovate. We talked about some of those, the, the products that I just talked about, you know, Zoomtopia, they announced like G, uh, email, uh, calendar, and we can talk about more about that and the potential of many of those things and chatbot and virtual agents that they announced. But I think, again, the success in the enterprise is definitely the success of, you know, landing with Zoom meeting, spreading it across thousands of customers or users in that organization. And then now they're starting to begin that upsell strategy where, you know, they're, as of today, they're 12% penetrated into their enterprise uh, with Zoom phone and likely going to go higher. Um, from all kind of evidence that, you know, whether they say or some of the, the, the surveys that we can read out there. Um, so I think that's the, the importance of that is, you know, uh, enterprises are looking for a strategic partner that's independent and best in, in breed. Um, and Zoom, I think, fits that bill and, and they're doing that very, very successfully. Yeah, let's hit, uh, let's hit calendar and email before we launch into more of the financial stuff. Uh, what do you think the potential is there? Can they compete with G Suite? Because G Suite does have quite the lock on a lot of users out there. For sure. Yeah. So they were pretty clear that 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 wasn't the goal. I don't know if that's a you know competitive talk versus reality. Um, I think you know this was one of the more important announcements we've said for a long time is either go out and acquire you know a an email client um, or you know go out and acquire, even though Calendly is like expensive now in terms of uh, private valuations, um, go out and acquire this and, 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 or build those functionality. And, and sure enough, they did that. So, you know, this is an email client. You can aggregate your emails with Gmail and Microsoft in one place. Um, so it's, it's literally a client where, you know, you log in uh, just like you would with like Outlook uh, and Exchange. Um, and so it, allows you to much more seamlessly integrate your entire Zoom experience. So like if you downloaded the brand new one, this is new and it's it's the beta version, but you know, at the top you have, you know, meetings, calendar, mail, uh, team chat, whiteboard, all in one all in one area. Um, so you can see what's next on your calendar. Truly a competitive, I think, um, position versus like a Teams, which is what people like in all in one place. They highlighted a couple of stats at the event, which was really around uh, clicking, how, how many clicks uh, uh, users in kind of the enterprise world take to you know, get between applications. And they, they, they narrowed it down to four hours a week. People lose to you know, switching back and forth between apps. So the strategy here is, again, to increase productivity, increase the, I think, start your day. I think that's the most important thing where like Slack wins and some other companies win. Start your day in an app. And so starting with like Zoom meeting and calendar or uh, Zmail and, and calendar, they also have Zmail. Uh, that's good to highlight as well as where, you know, uh, you know, your name dot at gmail.com. They have the same thing at zmail.com. That's really trying to hit the small business to just start up and, and, and get started and have an email client with Zmail. You can then obviously pay and have your domain uh, attached to that, uh, just like you would in anything else. It's a much more seamless experience with your with your meetings app. So if you're sending um, a meeting invite to somebody, uh, I think what you see there is you know it's just much more integrated and seamless. The recordings, if you had a recording on a on a session for sales or something, 
that sticks to the meeting uh, automatically. Um, so it's a much more you know intuitive product. If you are a Zoom believer and power user, I think that's really um, where that comes in. Calendar is 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 what you would expect from a calendar. It's a calendar with all your different calendar stuff, and and eventually able to set, uh, send out uh, your availability, similar to uh, what we're thinking, similar to like a, a calendar or something like that. And um, and I think that's a big deal. All of that uh, on top of what they've already have and announced. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right. Well, we hit the products pretty well there. I think that was a great overview and the updates on how they're more than just the Zoom meetings that people talk about. However, the narrative on the company both generally and in the financial world, is that we hit peak Zoom during COVID. I think that narrative is still in the stock, even though the company has shown that, that through their revenue growth rates, that this is really not the case. Um, why do you think that's not the case, I guess? Uh, and what do the next, say, 18 months look like for this business? I know that's a hard question to answer, but I think that's the big concern with the stock right now and why the, the valuation might look you know, optically cheap and why people are uh, concerned about the company, right? You know, at, at current prices. Yeah. So I think we like, I think one thing is clear is we've definitely reached peak Zoom meeting usage. I think that's like the most important takeaway. Um, and, you know, that happened, uh, you know, and when I say that, I'm talking about COVID where they had 365 or 50 million people using it concurrently at like a given time that I think they threw out that number at one point. Um, so like to, to think we would ever go back to those numbers would, would, would assume some sort of lockdown. Um, but you know, I think we're far from peak penetration, and I think Zoom meeting is is what everyone thinks about today. And yes, it's still critical to that story. But it's also clear that four million uh, Zoom phone seats uh, are there. You know, they've had some big wins on the Zoom contact center uh, with other products again, like Calendar, email, Team Chat. I think the future is bright in terms of where they expand to. So I think they're very much in that expand phase, which is what you're seeing in the enterprise business. Uh, today, you know, they have 200,000 customers paying $100,000 or more. At Zoomtopia, at their, again, their event, they announced 10% of the enterprise customers are using you know, three or four products and generate 50% of, of ARR, annual reoccurring revenue. And then a good stat they also threw out, I believe, was uh, ARR of customers using three or four products grew 45% year over year. So I think, again, we're peak Zoom meeting, but I think we're at the very early days of of expansion into the organizations that are out there, which is why you're seeing such strength in the enterprise. You know, the next 18 months, if I had to care, uh, categorize or characterize it, I think we hope to see continued maturity of the products that they just announced. So, you know, starting from the newest, 
you know, mail calendar and then going up to, you know, phone and con uh, contact center. Uh, continued, I think, adoption of Zoom phone, which is, you know, 4 million seats today, but only 12% penetrated, like I said before, within the enterprise. Um, Zoom contact center, I think just, it, it just launched and we want to see more deals announced. Again, there's the rumor of 100,000 ARR and, and we want to see more announcements there. They, they, they announced literally within the first quarter two uh, pretty big enterprise uh, logos. Uh, that was last quarter. Uh, Zoom meetings, I think, you know, we want to see continued stability in their online business. I think that's been the crux of the negativity, which, you know, these are customers that don't have account reps attached to them. Uh, so generally viewed as, you know, smaller customers. They saw some churn there as COVID kind of the use cases around COVID uh, started to, to cut, fall off. Uh, you had the macro issues really start to formulate in, in Europe. So those were some of the issues that they were talking about early on. And again, expecting to see some of that talk continue this quarter, next quarter, and probably over the next you know two, three quarters. Um, but they did share at Zoomtopia their monthly churn data, which is essentially the online businesses monthly churn data is back to pre-COVID uh, levels. And, and I think again, that's a really important signal to to understand that you know the online business, which makes up right around 50%. The enterprise business makes up right around 50%. Enterprise is growing uh, strongly. We, we, we plan to see more attach rates on products and then um, the uh, online business to see, again, uh, stability. They talked about that this week, last week, and the week before as well. But you're probably going to see a lot of that still here early on, like in the next quarter or two, potentially elongation of cycles. Some of the same stuff, same script, I think, we've seen over the last quarter from other companies, but that doesn't, I think, change the overall narrative or story around, um, you know, they landed meetings and they're expanding pretty dramatically uh, with some of their other products. Do you think that in terms of kind of future revenue growth for them, majority of that comes from product expansion, or do you think it'll be kind of a blend with price increases as well and maybe customer growth, I guess, in there also? Yeah, so you've seen customer growth, right? They're 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 plus two hundred four thousand enterprise customers, which is kind of the big core. You, they they really uh, talk about. Um, so you're seeing smaller customer growth, but still customer growth. Um, it's really expansion. I think it's the the expand. It's it's some of these could be uh, native, right? So one important thing about all this is that they're selling to the same buyer. You know, the communicate the 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 person that's buying you know, Zoom phone is is likely the same decision maker that's buying Zoom meeting and likely the same decision maker that's that's buying contact center. I heard Avaya's, you know, CEO literally talk about this exact thing. And that's why, you know, they're in such a good place. Uh, th them talking about themselves, whether I believe that or not is, is different, but it's um, something about the, these adjacent products selling to the same buyer. I think just, again, is probably why they've been able to expand Zoom phone and contact center so fast after product launch. Um, so the future, I think, is is more of a function of expansion as opposed to new logo wins um, as it relates to uh, meetings, for example. Okay, one other question. I guess we we, we kind of talked about this before we hit record, but a lot of I feel like a lot of investors and I. It's it's easy to kind of fall into this trap. Think it's a commodity that the the video offerings is largely a commodity, um, given just how many other uh, competitors there are in the space. Do you think Zoom has any 
like true moat or lasting competitive advantages? Yeah. So again, I think we both talked about it, right? And what you're referring to is, you know, before we were talking about how we we both use Zoom. And the reason why we use Zoom is is given its reliability. We know we're going to get on here and you know the stability and clarity and and stuff is going to work. Um and that's super important because you know it's all about trust and brand and and ensuring that you know we're we're doing a podcast but you know if you're doing a sales pitch to a, a, a upper level executive i mean you may have 30 minutes to to get the shot um and do you really want to you know so i i think there's some aspects to brand trust and and having that reliability you know is that a moat all that uh, in itself i don't think so again cuz i think eventually you know reliability kinds of span across you know players but four years ago, I would have said, you know, they do not like that, that they don't have a moat um, that they would have to create a platform. And again, it goes back to the very origins of what I was the kind of from the start of understanding who they were, who they were at the time to, you know, what would make it investable valuation plus, you know, clear expansion. I think there's clear evidence now that there's a platform forming. The question is, you know, how much of their user base do they penetrate? How many more products do they successfully attach to those? Uh, but ultimately, what you see is more products, the more they attach, the higher the switching costs, the more competitive kind of they become. Uh, and, you know, as the as they do that, I think what forms here is, you know, the potential of, you know, a third or fourth or fifth, you know, SaaS platform, cloud based platform, call it the Google's, the Salesforce, the uh, the service nows uh, of the world. Um, so, again, I think meeting by itself, they still win in reliability. They still win in kind of that brand loyalty, uh, ease of use. There's there's a, there's like the hintus of a network effect here where, you know, I send you a Zoom meeting and you already know how to use it as opposed to, you know, fumbling through like Cisco's WebEx and downloading like a client onto your, 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 your computer. Um, so that I think still exists and that help, has helped bridge them to today to then upsell these new products. But I, once you attach, it's, re, it's the reason why Avaya still exists is because, you know, you, you roll out you roll out 10,000 Zoom phones across an organization. Um, and then their service and support team is using contact center and their HR team is using contact center. And, you know, we're all using meeting and team chat. I mean, that is very sticky for sure. Right. Do you think that leads to pricing power? And do you think they are underpricing versus the value they're providing? Because personally, we look at, again, we're power users with the podcast. We use it multiple times per week, but we have one account. I think they charge about $150 to $200 a year. And the value they're providing us is much, much higher than that. And we're ba- you know, we're really just the, uh, the, the Zoom meeting users at this moment. Um, what, do, what do you think about the pricing power? Because you would think that the competitive advantage would lead to that. Um, and I guess you see them flexing that in the short run or maybe more of a out years thing? Yeah. So they've always tried to be kind of the, uh, the, the platform that anyone can jump on at the very least, right? Where they have like the 40 minute threshold. And then if you're using it more, um, then you become a, a, a buyer. Um, and so I, I do think, you know, they could, in theory, flex some pricing power. They've actually always tried to price aggressive, you know, and, and try to serve more people. Uh, I think, again, that's why they expanded so quickly. Um, and even with that kind of call it aggressive pricing or slightly aggressive pricing, uh, we talked about it before, they they still supported 20, 40% you know, cash flow margins um, on that. And, and again, they fluctuate. But Microsoft, I think what's important here is over the last, 
recently this year, you know, Microsoft increased their pricing on their their e e licenses uh, multiple times, and you know that is a stepping stone, right? It, it's it's essentially allowing you know it's it's like when you know Apple in the App Store increases the price of of uh, going from ninety nine cents to whatever it was a dollar fifty or two bucks at the minimum. It, it literally pushes the whole space up in terms of being able to price. So Microsoft leading with price increases, I think allow some flow through to the rest of the ecosystem. Um, but again, I think it comes down to, to, to uh, product attach rates become mission critical inside of an organization. And then you can start asking for price increases down the line. I think that's, that's the thesis, right? Which is more attaches, um, keep prices, you know, relatively attractive today. Um, and then once you can't attach anymore uh, and you've, you've, you're at peak kind of attach penetration, I think that's ultimately when you start to flex pricing um, thereafter. So uh, I don't think we see that for some time. It could be, obviously, as an inflationary-ish environment, or was, <laughs> but um, that's, that's how I view pricing. Okay, let's talk through financials a bit, and I'm going to try to summarize it best I can, and you can kind of tell me if I'm getting it wrong or right. But throughout COVID, cash flow margins ballooned because it seemed like uh, their sales team was pretty much just customer service reps at, at sort of the peak there. Um, and since then, margins have kind of come back down as they they invested back into the business. What do you think of the valuation today? And what kind of margins do you think this, what kind of normalized margins do you think Zoom can have? Is it ever going to be sort of that peak level that they saw during uh, COVID? Well, I don't think it'll be peak level, right? Which was like 50. I think that at some point they were probably touching, you know, even if it was intra-quarter, like peak 50% flow through. Yeah. Um, they talked about it. They Even during those moments, they, they, they couldn't invest fast enough. Um, that makes a lot of sense conceptually. You know, you have within a month, you know, if you recall, right? I mean, what was that? A, uh, March, April, May. I mean, within that time frame, they had yeah, concurrent 350 million plus people using the platform. Um, people were naturally coming to the platform. They didn't have to spend as much on sales and marketing. R&D, they were always uh, under investing in R&D during that time. And they always talked about bringing that up to you know the 10, 12% threshold. They're, they're kind of there today. So they're, they're within the ballpark of what they've outlined. At Zoomtopia, you know, they announced uh, 30-ish uh, percent uh, operating margins. A lot of their operating margins flowed through to cash flow. Um, and so you can kind of... Suggest that that's where they they think this business is going. Again, pre-COVID, post-COVID, they've kind of been in that ballpark. Um, you know, mid like the 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 peak COVID again. I don't think that's the margin structure you should have been looking at. We weren't at all thinking that in many of the stuff we were doing. We were taking margins down fifteen percent at the free cash flow. Um, now, obviously, the market doesn't like that in the short term, but the reality is it's it's more about the that revenue on that thirty percent. So. Um, yeah, so margins for us again, we think that thirty percent kind of threshold makes a lot of sense, um, and they outline that uh, again within the last couple of weeks. Makes All right, uh, can we get, just get some context for the listeners on valuation? I know we're at a market cap at about twenty five billion dollars right now. Cash pile is pretty high. I think it's five or six billion dollars. Um, sure. Just what are they earning? Like, just yeah, just some reference on that. Yeah, so twenty five or so billion dollar. Business today on a market cap basis, enterprise value is probably around, you know, depending on the day, it's, you know, 17 to $20 billion uh, in terms of enterprise. Um, 
essentially no debt, you know, so this is a, you know, 20% of their market cap is sitting in, in cash. Um, pretty interesting, right? So they laid out and I'll, I'll kind of walk you through our, our framework slightly here is, you know, there's multiple markets they play in. Uh, they're all pretty big, you know, so, so Zoom's laid out a, a, I would call it a soft goal. They've talked about it anecdotally um, of $10 billion in revenue today. You know, that number is closer to inching towards five, right? Um, and they, to, to get there, right? To get to that soft number, it, it, it'll take, we think it's very doable, right? But it's also, it'll take execution across, you know, product offerings, uh, probably, you know, with that that ca uh, cash position, you'll probably see some acquisitions. They've talked about acquisitions a lot here. They haven't necessarily done any. Uh, you could argue that's it, been very prudent to do um, as valuations across the, the landscape have come down. So they should be in a pretty good position to do something, but we don't know the size, right? They've kind of talked about tuck-ins and they've also talked about, you know, um, where it fits in, in terms of a product, software, engineers, culture type. So I think they're pretty rigid in terms of uh, acquisitions. To capture these markets, we do think, again, it, it, it does require like successful product launches. And telephony, $37 billion are kind of market according to them. You see similar figures that have been shared around other cloud players talking about similar market sizes, whether it's like 25 or 40. And you, know, you get somewhere in the ballpark of you know, 35, $40 billion. We know the revenue of some players like Avaya, Cisco, others, and how much they generate. So you can kind of get in that ballpark for telephony. Uh, the collaboration market, they laid out somewhere around you know, 45 billion. That's kind of always been kind of the number. And again, you can go out and look at some of the other players out there and aggregate all that revenue and kind of figure out where that goes. Um, contact center, uh, smaller market than the first two, but it's like $20 billion. You know, there's the ring centrals and five nines and, and some others that sit out there of I as well, um, where you can see, again, a lot of this just remember is, is going from on-premise to cloud, right? So Zoom being the cloud player, it's, it's replatforming to the cloud. So uh, some of that spend just simply goes from on-prem to cloud, not necessarily having to create like new markets, um, some other, like some other areas. So webinars and events, I think that's $4 billion. Net net, you get around like $100 billion kind of call it space uh, of tangible, you know, not, not future looking kind of mythical uh, addressable markets. They have a strong offering in, in all, all those categories. Uh, so again, like we talked about before is the upsell opportunities uh, of attaching. And then they have upsells inside of that. So they have sales IQ, which is a pretty cool thing for like... Um, you're recording a meeting and, but that's like, uh, what is it? Like 20, 15 bucks a, a user per month, um, which is almost double, you know, the, the price of a, an original one, really good for sales teams. They have their conversation intelligence product and, and some of the products announced at Zoomtopia, we think uh, don't even exist in the numbers we're talking about. So again, we think $10 billion is in the cards from what they have on the kind of announced on the product side. Uh, what they have achieved to date. I think, again, taking those two things together to try to judge the potential here. Uh, they laid out that 30% operating margin uh, at the midpoint. So a little bit higher, a little bit lower. Again, a lot of that flows through to free cash flow. We're trying to value it on free cash flow. If you take those numbers, you know, you net out around, you know, $3 billion in terms of this kind of uh, uh, um, free cash flow opportunity. And again, not in the too distant future, in our, in our opinion. Again, with acquisitions and execution on the product side, um, and you apply somewhere around you know a 10, 15 multiple on that, you get a 30, 40 billion dollar company on a 17 to 20 billion dollar enterprise. 
Um, again, that $5.6 billion of cash. We just think, you know, you put that all together, that's not only, you know, a framework to use, it, it provides a margin of safety, we think with the 10, 15 multiple. Um, because if, you, if again, you're talking about a business doing $10 billion in, in reoccurring revenue with strong attach rates, becomes a central platform. Like we talked about the Salesforce service nows, you're, they're not getting 10 to 15X multiples. Um, so that is the opportunity. We think the margin of safety is in the multiple relative to that 10 billion. Uh, Eric Yuan said, we're going more than that. Um, you know, he's kind of taken the, uh, the Benioff approach where, you know, at first it was, it was a billion, then it was 5 billion, 10 billion. And then, you know, now they're shooting for 50 billion, I think, or something like that at, at Salesforce. Uh, I think you could see similar type of activity at, uh, at, um, at Zoom. Um, not, not the 50 billions and such, but I'm just saying, uh, um, how this platform matures. And, and again, it won't be a straight line. You know, there'll be comments around Zoom meeting and some turnaround online business, but I think that's the best way to think about it. Um, and, and we think that's, you know, a couple of years out. Uh, it's definitely in the, the, the medium term to the end of near term uh, of, uh, of opportunity. You mentioned the, the huge cash pile. What do you think they'll do with that? If I'm not mistaken, they, they have a did, did they authorize a repurchase program in there too? Yeah, share counts yeah. coming down a little bit. Yeah, so they they've they had a billion dollar share buyback program. Um, so acquisitions, they've talked about acquisitions. They've talked about you know um, the acquisitions on uh, we 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 spoke about them a, a moment ago in terms of like what they're kind of looking for. Um, the size of those, they tried to take a big chunk out of five nine before. Um, so they've shown their ability to, you know, try to go big. Um, and you know, I think at some point you'll see a a big enough acquisition. I don't know what it'll be. They've talked a lot about acquisitions. Um, so we'll see there. I think that's really that. And, and then on the share buyback side, uh, assuming, you know, the shares are reasonably priced in their view, I think they'll do a lot of that, uh, as well. So, you know, they're sitting on a lot of cash. There's no kind of questions about that. The question is what they do with it. Um, you know what's cool though is, you know, they easily could have acquired a bunch of stuff uh, over the last year uh, with that cash pile, like some others have done. And at Zoomtopia, they had like a breakout session, and one of those breakout sessions, they talked about all the products that they announced: Zoom Mail products, virtual chat, uh, the chatbot, um, all the other stuff in Team Chat, uh, and he gave a roadmap of when they first got feedback on that and when they they had a product in market. And the, the gentleman speaking basically said they had feedback to product launch in beta to a fully kind of general available was 12 months. So not only is this company, you know, have pretty good products, but they're doing, they're rapidly building these things out. Um, so, you know, as a, somebody that says product and execution and an expansion of platform has to happen. Um, that's a, again, just like other signals of, of that where, you know, maybe they can be even more razor focused on on more purposeful with that five point six billion dollars of cash than somebody that can't necessarily launch products and innovate as fast as they have. Um, so it, it's refreshing to say the least. All right, last question. I think uh, pre mortem, how could this or how could an investment in Zoom go poorly? Yeah, it's probably everything I just talked about, which is the product um, and execution around that product. Could be go to market. It could be the actual product, um, you know. Because you could argue team chat, right? It's been there for you know 
four years or something or even longer. Um, yet, you know, they're starting to emphasize it um, and really seeing it as an opportunity um, to to get people to start their days in, in their Slack like product. Again, literally with a Zoom meeting, you could have Zoom and team chat for the same price and you could totally remove Slack. Um, just throwing that out there, everybody. But the, um, <laughs> the, uh, the yeah. And then again, Teams is doing a good job. I think uh, Teams uh, is call it a is a threat, but it's a threat to a point because unless you're assuming, you know, they they take the entire market, which again, like I was uh, referencing before, which is there's a lot of companies that don't want to that don't use Microsoft at all, right? Um, and they use you know Google's ecosystem um, or Apple's ecosystem uh, for many of their tools, and they don't use Excel. Not everyone's a financial <laughs> firm, and the uh, and that's the reality. So. You know, I think they can coexist, but Teams is one. Google's always one. I mean, we talked about it before. Google just, you know, for some reason doesn't nail some of the software, um, even though they're so big in this space. Um, and that's really kind of it. You know, financially, there's no financial burden. You know, they could make some sort of a freakish, freakish, freakish acquisition, but they haven't shown anything to support that kind of belief. So they're, they're not sitting on a lot of debt. They're sitting on a lot of cash. So even if they lost, you know, some big logos at some point, they would financially be be sound. Um, product problems. I think one thing we didn't talk about is that they 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 run their own data centers, um, right? So everyone's talks about you know the cloud, the public cloud, public cloud, public cloud. You know, Zoom actually does it. So they pre-COVID, they had essentially they ran everything internally. They have like twenty six zones um, that they run internally. At co-located facilities where they have they own the hardware and 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 hold them at uh, co-location facilities, and the um, the importance of that is you know it gives them control and they own the data. AWS doesn't, Microsoft Azure doesn't, Google Cloud doesn't, which is also important for their end customers who don't want AWS owning holding their data. Um, and you know there could be something that goes wrong there just because you know they don't have the same scale as AWS, but I mean, they're pretty darn reliable, so they're doing a good job. Uh, they have some public cloud spend that happened during COVID because of a because of um, the burst in, in in usage. So they needed to, you know, supplement a lot of that, and and that actually led to a, a degradation in gross margin, and that's come back. So it's actually been cheaper, and they've talked about that. Their gross margin's gone up as they continue to push off the cloud. Same we saw with Dropbox and some others. Um, so that's super important. It's another thing as well. So like if anything goes wrong with like their own facilities, mind you, they have 26 zones, 27 zones. So like they have a lot of uh, redundancies uh, as well. So I think that's important. Lastly, um, you know what's important about that? And uh, I'm just kind of going on here, but I think it's important for the thesis is they talked to, they, they announced um, Zoom Mesh, which is uh, their ECDN, their enterprise content delivery network for webinars and events. You know, a lot of that stuff is ran through, you know, Microsoft and, you know, call it some of the other players out there in, in CDN. Um, because they own their own infrastructure, they're actually now able to provide infrastructure as a service uh, services um, that somebody that's just using the public cloud can't necessarily do um, as a function. So that is actually a solution there. And all that does is doesn't allow, doesn't have a, uh, uh, allow buffering during like a webcast or uh, an event, right? Because it's running through their network um, and there's probably like a gap and delay and it allows it to stream fluidly um, to the rest of everybody. So 
that's important as well. All of this, you know, going back to go, what can go wrong is, you know, some of those things, you know, there's, there's competitive threats or always will be product execution. Um, and, you know, if anything goes wrong, uh, the flip side of that is contract lanes are like, you know, 15 months, 70% of customers are on annual contracts now. Um, so for every potential negative, there's kind of a, a flushing point, but you know, there, anything could go wrong. But I think again, recurring revenue is, is why it's a, such a love space. If you were a shareholder at the time of the five, nine bid, would you have been upset if the deal went through? If you were a shareholder of Zoom, I don't know if you were. I wasn't, I wasn't, um, or we weren't, but the, uh, it's, it's hard to say, right? Cause it, it, we're, 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 it's hindsight now, right? Cause now they have a product that's in market and they're getting traction. So it's showing that they didn't necessarily need the deal. Uh, it would have fast tracked product enterprise grade products. And it would have obviously brought over customers. Um, they're the only ones that know the level of the, you know, the synergies there. Um, so, you know, in hindsight, I think it, it, it depends on that. It depends on that question on the synergies, whether, you know, in right now they would have, you know, uh, instead of having, you know, a couple logos that they're talking about, they could have, you know, 50, a hundred, a thousand logos that then now they're quickly upselling phone and quickly upselling, uh, some of their other stuff. We don't know any of that data. They didn't, that, that's not out there because the deal didn't necessarily go through. And I think uh, um, it's tough. It's tough. I think at the time I would have been a little uh, upset because again, if, if you go back to recall of the, the thesis is going from meetings to phone to contact center, this was a clear step into an adjacent kind of product with a clear user base that's enterprise grade with a product that is best in class. I mean, that just like definitely put, you know, the fork in the ground saying, this isn't just meetings anymore. Um, they've done that on their own now here, here over the last, uh, like, you know, three quarters. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's tough to say at, at the end of the day, I remember the announcement and, and, and thinking through it, but um, at the time they didn't have contact center launch. So now they do. And um, that's kind of my views on it. All right. Well, I think that's all the questions we have. Thank you, Sean, for your time. We want to remind listeners that Brett and I are not financial advisors. So anything we say or discuss here on Chit Chat Money is not formal advice or recommendation. We are, however, general partners at Arch Capital. So clients may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. Thanks again, Sean, for coming on the show. And we will see you all next time. Hey, Simon, we wanted to ask you a few questions about 7investing so listeners could get an idea of what they're getting. What inspired you to start the company and what exactly is 7investing? Well, hey, Ryan, thanks again for having me. You know, we, from years of working in the investing industry, it was inspired by conversations with people that would just always have kind of the same negative perception of the stock market, right? It's it's too hard, or I don't have time for this, or this is stacked against me. And those conversations kind of led me to say, hey, we need to create a site that actually does inspire people to say, you can take control of your financial future. You can invest in stocks. You can find good stocks to buy and hold for long periods of time. And at the end of the day, too, we know that everybody is different. Um, we don't believe that there is one stock that 
fits for everyone, right? Maybe you're a, a dividend loving, you know, paycheck cashing uh, income investor that might want an option that's going to be a lower risk dividend paying stock, especially right now with the economy being what it is. Uh, and but then other people might say, hey, you know, I'm ready to hold on for 20 or 30 years. I want to take some swings for the fences. Let's go after those high growth opportunities. And so I, I said, you know, this would be something that would be even more fun rather than just doing educational and as and by myself. I said, what if I brought together a team of seven advisors, all with a diverse background and a diverse perspective of the stock market? So we could uncover more stones and look at a bunch of different stocks with a bunch of different investing styles and a whole bunch of different industries. And so seven investing is, is kind of the uh, the genesis of all of those that we started in uh, in March of 2020. And we said, let's look at a whole bunch of different stocks. Let's do the legwork of the analysis and let's present our seven favorite actionable ideas every month for investors to choose from. And let's start the conversation about which of these stocks is right for you and which one might be the right fit for your portfolio, knowing that investing is a very personal thing. All right. If you are a subscriber of 7investing, what do you get? Can you give an overview of what subscribers get? On the very first of every month, Brett, we release our seven new recommendations. So we are uh, coming up on October 1st here, at least in the recording of this. And you know, on October 1st, we'll release seven recommendation reports. Some of them will be low risk. Some of them will be high risk. Some of them will be biotech. Some of them will be financial services. We run the full gamut. And as a member, you get immediate access to all of the new reports. But you also get access to all of our old recommendations as well. We track all of them in real time on our scorecard at 7investing.com slash recommendations. And we also provide company updates on all of those previous recommendations as well. We check in on how things are going. And sometimes we even see red flags that we think people should be aware of. There's risks for any opportunity at the time that you recommend it. And sometimes it's really willing, it's really, it's really needed for investors to kind of understand the risk and reward relationship. And then the last part of it is in addition to issuing new recommendations and providing updates on them is we know that this is a long-term journey. We know that investing is something that we want to take uh, years, if not decades, to accomplish whatever we want to get to as, as the end goal. And so we always, every month, make it a point to be very available for our subscribers to ask us questions. We have a members-only call uh, right in the middle of every single month. We have a community discussion forum that we that we have available 24-7 to not only talk to our advisors, but also other investors. I think that's one of the key differentiators for 7investing is that, you know, we know this is a long-term journey. We know it's a very personal thing. We know they're going to have questions along the way. We don't want to just broadcast stock picks and disappear. We want to be here with you uh, throughout this entire journey. And you mentioned... So seven recommendations each month. Sometimes those might be repeats, but obviously there's a lot of companies now in the seven investing universe. So how do members get a grasp on the the advisor's conviction around certain ideas? Like which ones do do they are do they have a way of knowing which uh, whether advisors like certain ones more? That's the most common question we've gotten, actually, since we started is what's your favorite ideas right now? You know, we've done the diligence on almost 200 unique companies now and put them on the scorecard and people would say, hey, this is too much to keep up with. How do I even know where to start? And so we've kind of uh, evolved as, as a company. You know, one thing that we've started doing is best buys every month. Each advisor gets to pick any of their or another advisor's previous recommendations and put the flag on it that says this is my best buy for October. And we publish those for subscribers. 
The other thing that we've started doing is issuing conviction ratings on companies that are also right there on the scorecard. So if you see a previous recommendation, we go everything from potential sell, which is the most negative flag we can put on a stock, to strong buy, which is the most positive bullish flag that we can mark things with. And you can filter through all of those to really quickly see, here's some of our favorite opportunities. And we've taken this even one step further now, Ryan, which is we've created a strong buy portfolio where every quarter now we've gone ahead and self-selected as a team through a pretty methodical process, our 20 favorite ideas, our 20 highest scoring companies that we've collectively come up with, our favorites of the entire scorecard. And we put these into what we're calling a strong buy portfolio that we publish each quarter, also available as an added benefit for no extra charge for seven investing members. All right, last question here. What does it cost to become a seven investing subscriber? Uh, and as a, you know, we'll talk about, or we have talked about before, if you're a listener, use code money to get a hundred dollars off your annual subscription. That's right. Yeah. We do have a monthly option. You know, you can come in and check out the entire scorecard for a month just to see what you're looking at for $49 a month. Uh, but our most popular plan is actually the annual option because it's at a discount to that. Uh, in fact, we've got a discount on the discount, like you mentioned, Brett, uh, $3.99 for the year is our is our annual option price. But if you use money, the Chit Chat Money promo code, it's down to $300. So you're basically getting the, the subscription for half price if you sign up for the annual offer with that promo code. That does not expire after the first year. As long as you remain an active subscriber, you get to lock in that $100 off a year benefit. All right. Well, as he mentioned, use that code money. Thanks for joining us, Simon. Thanks very much for having me.